in Anaheim, California, uh, starting today or tomorrow, is the Southern Baptist Convention Annual Meeting. Now, we've discussed this, the, the, uh, an investigation that happened in the Southern Baptist Convention at a prayer meeting. We had a Q&A last week, uh, but we hadn't actually said anything from the stage. We thought, that's a good idea to do. And, uh, and so what's happening in the SBC at large is there, there was an investigation into the executive committee. Now, how the SBC works is there are different levels in our convention. So there is these our local church, and there's a state con- or local associations that we don't really have much to do with. And then we have a state convention, and then there is the national convention that's headquartered in Nashville. Now, each of those levels don't have any legal ties between one another. And so each level has no legal authority on the one beneath it or above it. There's just no, we choose to be a part of them together by just by choosing to be there. But anyone can leave at any point. And uh, um, so, like if Norman Doe decided to leave, there'd be no financial ties or anything with the SBC at large. There'd be other things financially, but that, anyways. So, but there was an investigation on the executive committee uh, brought about by Southern Baptist. Everyday Southern Baptists wanted to look at how did the executive committee handle cases of sexual abuse that were, or allegations that were brought to their attention. So, what's happening with that? is uh, the executive committee is like a day-to-day operation. Uh, They handle the day-to-day operations of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so they don't hold any legal authority over churches, but sometimes allegations were brought to their attention. And what what basically came out of the investigation is, in most cases, any survivors were ignored. That's kind of what happened. And the reason that the executive committee did that is because they were trying to protect the ship. They didn't want to give any legal advice or advice to local churches uh, for things that happened in their local church because they were worried about creating a legal tie or assuming responsibility for what happened in the local church. And so because if they gave ideas or for ways to handle it in that church, then they were worried that opens up the SBC at large to be sued. And, uh, and if you don't know this, Southern Baptists have very deep pockets due to the cooperative program, the money that we all give to uh, through our church every week. And, uh, and so that was what happened. The investigation came out, and there was story after story after story, and it was, it's horrific. Uh, the allegations that were brought to their attention and the response of the executive committee basically doing nothing as a result. And, uh, and so uh, it's, it's pretty awful to hear about what happened with that. So now, as a result, there's two things that are happening. One is in our local church, we are committed to ensuring that we are learning the best practices towards handling any allegation that comes to our attention. And so that's, that's our, that is our focus uh, with, regard, with respect to this whole investigation. We are, are going to do what's necessary to, in order for us to make sure that we are part of the solution. Now, the second thing is that at the um, Southern Baptist uh, annual meeting that's happening this week, there are going to be some ideas that are brought forward in order for how, how does our convention handle this moving forward. And so some, in some cases, there's kind of creating a registry for people who've had allegations brought against them that all churches can access. 
Um, there's some other things uh, like a hotline or a place for people to be able to report stuff. And, uh, and so those are things that are coming up this week. So if you see that in the news, that's what's happening. And uh, so just our church's response, we're horrified just as much as you guys are, and we're going to do what's necessary for us to make sure that we are part of the solution and, and make sure that we are a, a good, safe place for people who are survivors. And so that's, that's what's happening with that. So now Proverbs chapter 5 is all about adultery and lust and marriage. And it's one of my favorite chapters in the book of Proverbs. And so, uh, and it sounds odd, I understand that, but I really like it. I've actually memorized the first six verses because I thought, you know what, here's the deal. Is no one in this room should be so arrogant as to assume that you are above having an affair. I'm just going to start, start with that. That's the principle here. Don't be so naive as to believe that you are incapable of having an affair. And this, in this proverb, there's a dad who's talking to his young son, and he's starting out by talking about the danger that is associated with letting your eyes wander towards someone else. Now, why does he do this? Because he talks about it a lot. He talks about it in chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. Now, why is he doing that? Now, if you recall last week in chapter, chapter 9, what we talked about is the the pinnacle of these first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs in which there was a choice to be made. Are you going to follow lady wisdom or are you going to follow lady foolishness? And the one you choose is going to determine where your life heads. Now, why does he talk repeatedly about an adulterous affair? Why does he talk about a promiscuous woman repeatedly? I think it's because she, this like event in a person's life, if they choose to engage in this, is a premier example before our eyes, a premier picture of what it looks like to choose lady foolishness. I think that's one, one reason the dad goes on to it. And plus, he's talking to a young man, his young son, and he's saying, listen, this is going to be a real danger for you. And so I'm going to get to this. And he starts, okay, I'm going to talk about financial things. Oh, and another thing, by the way, don't go near that woman's house. Okay, let's talk about, watch your tongue. Oh, by the way, and another thing, watch out for that woman. And he's not talking about a particular woman. He's just talking to his son saying, you better watch out with where you're heading with your life, with how you handle people with matters to sex. That's what he's telling his son. So look at verse one with me. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen closely to my understanding so that you may maintain discretion and your lips safeguard knowledge. Though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her words are smoother than oil, in the end she's as bitter as wormwood, as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps head straight for Sheol. She doesn't consider the path of life and she doesn't know that her ways are unstable. So now, sons, listen to me, and don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Otherwise, you will give up your vitality to others, your years to someone cruel. Strangers will drain your resources, and your hard-earned pay will end up in a foreigner's house. At the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed, and you will say how I hated discipline and how my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my instructors. I am on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. Drink water from your own cistern. Water flowing from your own wells. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams in the public squares? 
They should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed. I love these two verses. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth, a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. That verse makes you giggle, I'm sure. But it is the, it is the more I've thought about it, the more profound it is for anyone in a marriage. Verse 21, for a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes, and he considers all his paths. A wicked man's iniquities will trap him. He will become entangled in the ropes of his own sin. He will die because there is no discipline and be lost because of his great stupidity. So let's go before the Lord as we open up his word this morning. So Father, we come before you and we thank you for this text, and I pray that you would use it for us, impact our hearts, give us a deep warning, help us to be affected by this, to be people who, who are committed to Christ and committed to loving our spouses. Help us to not be so naive as to think that we're above having an affair, a love uh, above having sexual issues um, in our lives, and so we pray. You cause us to be people of great devotion, and so open our hearts, open our minds to hear. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in this, uh, this morning, I typically don't have like the three points, the three Ps, but I do have three Ps for you this morning. So here's the outline for what this text is going to show us, okay? We're going to see the problem of passions, the purpose of purity, and the plan for living this out. The problem of passions, the purpose of purity, and the plan for living this out. And so here's what we're going to see. Look at this first part. Look at verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Why does he want us to pay attention to his wisdom? He's like, because there's an issue in your heart. There's an issue in your heart, in your eyes, in your mind that can rear its head, that can bring itself out in how you deal with someone of the same sex or someone of the opposite sex. Today, it, honestly, it doesn't matter which one you're talking about. There are some people in this room who struggle going, with, like, there's, a, there's a struggle whether you're talking about someone of the same sex or someone of the opposite sex. You have to be on guard with how you deal with someone that you're not married to. You, how you deal with the person that, like other people in your life. He's saying there's an issue in your heart that, it, that is, there's this thing that's broken in you. God created you in a specific way. He created you to desire sex. He created you to desire another person. But the, what happened is after the fall, that has been corrupted. And so now it's no longer just satisfied in this one person. You want it from everyone. He's like, son, you need to pay attention because how you handle this area of your life will determine so many things for you moving forward. That's what he's telling his son. And so there's a problem in the passions of your heart. There's a danger here. Look what he says. He's like, this woman, though the lips, verse three, though the lips of the woman that you can't have drip honey. He's like, I know what happens in your mind because I've experienced it. I know what happens when you see someone else and you start to think about her figure, and you start to think about her, her eyes, you start to think about the way that she talks, you start to think about, like you're looking at her and you're like, oh man, she's so smart, she's so great. It's like, I know what happens in your heart in that moment. And though her lips drip honey, and her words are smoother than oil, when she walks by, she touches you in her arm, and you get to feel that feeling in your heart, and you're like, I know that, I know that she's not my wife, but I like the attention that I get from this other person. And when she talks, I love talking with her. 
He's like, I know that. I know that's happening in you. The lips of the forbidden woman drip honey. And her words are smoother than oil. He's like, son, you need to understand this. In the end, after you have her, she is as bitter as wormwood. If you were here uh, at our um, Good Friday, uh, not Good Friday, but our, 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 our service prior to Easter in which we did our, our Passover meal together, think of, think of the horseradish that we had there. So if you were here and we're like, okay, here's the bitter herbs that you're going to have, and everyone took a spoonful of horseradish, did you like having that by itself? No. That stuff is disgusting. But we have it to remind ourselves of at that time over the, the hard time that God's people had back in Egypt. But now what he's telling his son is after you have that woman, after you get that moment of pleasure, or woman, if you get that man, after you have that experience that you were chasing with this other person, and maybe you weren't chasing it, but it just kind of, the relationship budded. And you were just like, man, I just, I just got caught up in the moment. After you have that that experience, that person, your life from that point on is going to taste like that horseradish. That is what's going to happen. She's as bitter as wormwood and sharp as a double-edged sword. Why? What happens? Look at this. Her feet go down to death and her steps head straight for Sheol. She doesn't consider the path of life and she doesn't know that her ways are unstable. This is what happens this is the danger of the passions that are at war within you, is the end result of following those to the end are death and destruction. That's what he's telling his son. It is bitter, and it brings a double-edged sword to your life and to your family. That's what he's saying. So look at this. So he says, that's the danger. So what is the purpose of purity? What's the purpose of purity? Well, what does he say about the woman? Look what, she's, look what he says. Her feet go down to death. And her steps head straight for Sheol. She doesn't consider the path of life. And she doesn't know that her ways are unstable. Well, if she doesn't consider the path of life, what does wisdom tell us? Consider the path of life. Consider the path of life before you engage in this pleasurable moment that you have with another person. He says, listen, listen, the ultimate reason the first primary reason that you should seek purity. There's two reasons that you should seek purity. The first one is this. Christian, you belong to God. You belong to God. He says, she doesn't consider the path of life, but you as a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to follow Jesus, you should consider the path of life. You belong to God. Listen, we are disciples of Jesus, if you've given your life to follow him. We are disciples of Jesus. We believe him, we follow him, we love him, and with our lives, we seek to honor him. And upon our conversion, upon our becoming a follower of Jesus, something happens spiritually within your heart with the God in heaven. Our, we're, we're united together. That's what happens when you believe in Jesus. When you give your heart to follow him, you're united with Christ. 
You become his. You receive the Holy Spirit within you. And as such, your body then becomes this temple of God. Your, t- your body, the Holy Spirit lives in you and you become his temple. You are not your own anymore. He purchased you through the blood of Christ. And so now he says what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You are not your own anymore, but you belong to God. Now honor God with your body. Flee sexual temptation. He says that. You're not your own anymore. So reason number one for pursuing purity is you don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. It's the Heidelberg Catechism, actually. There was a catechism in the 1500s written to instruct kids in our faith. And the number one question, the first question in the entire thing is this. What is our only hope in life and death? And here's the answer which they teach their kids, which we teach our kids here. The New City Catechism, which Tim Keller put that out. It was co-opted from the Heidelberg Catechism. And here's what the number one answer is. What is our only hope in life and death? Is that we are not our own, but we belong with body and soul to God and to Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's what he says. We are not our own, but belong both body and soul in life and death to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the first catechism answer for our kids here to learn. You are not your own if you belong to Jesus. He owns you. And so now honor him with your body. That's the number one reason to seek purity is that you're not your own. And Paul here, when he said that, was referring to areas of sex. But here's the second reason that this dad tells his son to pursue purity. Look at verse 9 with me. Because if you live this out, if you give in, if you, if you allow this other relationship to bud or to flourish in your heart and in your life, you will give up your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel. Strangers will drain your resources and your hard-earned pay will end up in a foreigner's house. At the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed, and you will say how I hated discipline, and how my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my instructors. I am on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. He says, this is the result of what happens. This is the second reason to pursue purity. Why? Because your legacy is at stake. You say everyone in this room has a life and a legacy to carry on. And how you handle a case in which a situation, whether there's going to be infidelity or not, is going to determine what your legacy is moving forward. It's not going to be the whole of it. God, Christ can redeem all things, but there's going to be an aspect of your legacy that's carried forward. So he's telling his son. And look, look, there's devastating effects, not just on like, not just like on like his spirit, but also on his life, financially, even. Because look, what happens? He's gonna lose his reputation. Look at verse 14. I'm on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. He's gonna lose his reputation. But then also financially, it's gonna it's gonna be a big problem for him. Why? Well, divorces are expensive. Divorces are expensive. And so there's going to be money lost. This is what he's talking about. Strangers are going to drain your resources, and your hard-earned pay will end up in a foreigner's house. Why? Because that foreigner's a lawyer. And you're going to be paying that dude a lot of money. 
and your wife or ex-wife is going to get a lot of money. There's going to be a huge settlement that comes out of this, and so you're going to be paying child support with your wife takes the kids. He's like, there's going to be a lot of issues that come up from this that you don't think about in the moment. It's going to ruin you financially. It's going to ruin your reputation. He's like, this is, this is, going, to, this is going to be a, an awful thing. Your kids are going to look at you differently. Your kids are going to look at you differently because you're the one who left mom or mom, you're the one who left dad. And so now this man in his dad's picture is experiencing the warning from verse four. Look at verse four. In the end, what is she? As bitter as wormwood and sharp as a double-edged sword. In the moment, she or he seemed so fine. She or he seemed like the ultimate pleasure, the ultimate in gratification, the ultimate in enjoyment, but on the other side of that, it only brought bitterness and deep wounds. But notice, what is this sword? It's double-edged. It causes severe damage. It doesn't just affect him. It affects him. It affects his wife, it affects his kids, it affects his grandkids, it affects everyone around him. They have to deal with the consequences of his actions here. It brings this sword home with him. This is interesting. Even grandkids will experience the effects of this. If you think about it, think about it. Have an affair, get a divorce, maybe get remarried, maybe not get remarried. But what happens at Christmas time? Grandkids have to go to three or four different grandparents' houses at Christmas. Eventually, when they reach a certain age, they're going to say, why do we have to go to so many different houses at Christmas time? Why does, why is, what happened? Why, why is this a thing? And your kids, your kids are going to do two things, one of two things. They're either going to follow in your footsteps and create devastation in their own family, or they're going to use it as an example to teach their children of the dangers of adultery. Your grandkids will know about it. And it's going to be part of your legacy. And it's dangerous, man. It's dangerous. Now, there's secondary applications to this. Because what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? There's secondary applications to this for you and me. Because there are many in this room who have not had an affair or will not have an affair. Hopefully. But will struggle with lust on a very consistent basis and struggle with pornography in a very deep level. And what does Jesus say? In chapter 5 of Matthew, in verse 27, he says, You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better to you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. He says, if you have a thought of someone else who's not your spouse, that is adultery in your heart. He elevates it. And so don't be so naive as to think, oh, it's not with someone else. It's just in my mind. Or it's not with someone else. It's just on my phone. The warnings here still hold. The warnings of Jesus still hold for us. Because here's the thing. 
I have seen this, like, I'm not making this up, seen this play out, multiple people, in which they've had their porn issue create these same effects. I've, I've seen someone else on staff at a church, heavily into porn, gets fired from his job, is now separated from his wife, and reputation's re- ruined. I know about it. Like, other people know about it other than just him and his wife. He's brought the, devast- the, the, the double-edged sword home. And it wasn't with another person. It was with porn. And so, so listen to the words of Jesus. Listen to the words of Jesus. Take every action to rid your life of anything outside of God's good design for sex, which is sex within the bounds of marriage. That's what he says. That's what he says. Listen to the Father. Look what he says in chapter, or verse 7. Now, sons, listen to me. And don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. So there's a question, and as I was in youth ministry for a while, uh, but for most of us in this room, we have a question of, how far is too far? How close can I get to a line before it becomes sin? Like, can I get this close and still be good with God? Or, like, at what point do I actually, like, step over and, oh, dang it, I did it. You know, like, like at what point, where's the line? What does the dad say? Don't play the game. Don't play that game. What does he say? Don't go near the door of her house. Stay far away from her. There is, like, you cannot, like, it is not, the fool I'm going to say it this way. The fool thinks that they can give oxygen to a budding relationship, yet keep it away from sex. That's what a fool thinks. That's stupid. That's what the dad says here. Verse 23. He's going to be lost because of his great stupidity. He thought he could toe the line and stay safe with God. That's stupidity. That's stupid. You can't do that. We're not designed that way. We were designed to fan the flames of a romantic relationship for it to lead somewhere. That's the way we're designed. And so what does the dad say? Listen, son, you need to, in your heart and in your life, create clear boundaries. You need to create clear boundaries when you're dealing with other people, especially ones that you may have a feeling in your heart towards, is because that honors Christ. The second thing he tells his son is this. Actually, he doesn't tell his son, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you anyway is you need to have openness with your spouse. You need to have openness with your spouse over, over what boundaries you need to have in place, over where your heart's at. Because when you grow deeper in communication with one another, what happens? You grow in your trust with one another. Even if you're telling them over something that you're like, man, I'm afraid this is going to hurt them. Guess what happens? I've counseled people uh, before uh, with this, where they're dealing with issues of, of sex or whatever. And I said, listen, you need to get everything out in the open to your spouse. Because what you're demonstrating at, this, at that point is that I've messed up in the past, but I'm changing the direction of where we're going. And now whenever something happens, I'm going to tell you about it. Because even though I'm messed up, I'm going to build trust with you by telling you when I mess up. That builds trust. It's counterintuitive, right? Most of the time you think, I'm not going to tell my spouse about this because I don't want to hurt them. I don't want them to know what's happening in me because then they'll cry about it or have a long conversation about it. But the more you tell them, the more you're open up about what's happening in your heart, what are you doing? You're becoming one flesh with one another. 
and you're developing trust with one another that even if you mess up, they'll know about it. It's amazing. It's an amazing, I, I get, that's an amazing thing to experience in a marriage. But beyond boundaries, the text also gives us one last thing that is actually pretty cool, okay? See, we saw the, the danger or the, the problem of passions. We saw the purpose of purity, which is what? The purpose of purity is you belong to God and your legacy is at stake. But the last thing this dad gives his son is what's the plan for living with purity? What's the plan for moving forward? Well, look what he tells his son in verse 15. I love it. It's the plan for living this out. Drink water from your own cistern. Water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams in the public squares, they should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. But catch this out, verse, eight, verse 18 and 19. These are the key ones here. Here's what his dad's plan is for him to live out purity. Let your fountain be blessed. Take pleasure in the wife of your youth. A loving deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. So the greatest thing about these verses is that it demonstrates a truth for you and me. Is that our God is very pro-sex. He's all about it. He created it. He did. He designed us to desire it, to find it together, to like be like passionate about it with one another. He designed us to be that way. Like that's why we have this drive within us. He designed us to do that. But what is he saying? Live it out, dude. Go for it in its proper context. So there's a pastor in Angleton called Aaron Pardue who I worked for for a couple years. And he would always say it this way. He's talking about the, the dangers of sex. He's like, if you have a fireplace in your home and you put a fire in that fireplace, what does it do? It provides warmth. It gives you good feelings just to get to stare at it for a little while. It's a good thing in its proper place. But what happens if you take that fire and you put it in the middle of the, in the, middle of the room, in the rug? It creates mass destruction everywhere. It's like, if you have that fire in the place it's supposed to be, then it is a good, life-giving thing. You can make marshmallows on it with your kids. But if you take it out and put it on the rug in the middle of the room, it's going to burn the whole house down. We experienced this. Actually, my, uh, my parents' house burned down a couple years ago. Um, looking back at it now, like, it's still, it was a bummer. It's a real bummer. But it, it's a cool story to have. Anyways, so my, parent, my dad was working on a house, and uh, he was, he was re- remodeling it, and he had a mattress up in a doorway, and he had the master bedroom. That was the, the lumber room, essentially. He was getting all this lumber, storing it in there. That was the, the, his lumber room. Well, he had a citronella candle going to prevent mosquitoes from flying in the house, and it was a windy day. And so he had the, uh, a door open on the other side of the house, and it created a draft through it. Well, that citronella candle popped, and one of the embers got blown into a mattress that was on the outside. That mattress was next to the lumber room, which looked the entire place up. The entire house burned to the ground. 
it was a crazy moment. We were down in Angleton at the time. Mom, like, my dad texted my mom while she was at teaching at school, and he was like, the house is on fire. <laughs> and so he texted her. And she was at school, and she, she got that text, and she was like, looked at her kids, and she goes, um, I have to go. My house is on fire. And, like, they went. And uh, my dad was real bitter about the fire department. They lived down, they're just literally four houses down from him on that road. And they took about 20 minutes to get there. And they were like, next time, man, we should, we should like, you, you let us know or whatever. And he said, let, let us know how we can help you. He's like, no, don't worry about it. I'll just write you a letter next. Anyways, <laughs> the house burned to the ground. That's what happens when fire gets out of its proper place. That's what happens when fire's out of its proper context. It's no longer life-giving and warmth-giving. It destroys everything. And this dad is telling his son, listen, keep fire in its proper place. Where do you keep it? How do you live these passions out? What should you do? What does he say? Take pleasure in your wife. Take pleasure in the wife of your youth. He says it this way at the end. Be lost in her love forever. So there is this, this call. He's like, consider the passion that he is expressing towards one another in this, in this relationship. In this verse, consider the passion. Like here, what is he saying? He's saying drink water from your own sister. And there's an exclusivity between you two. He says they should be for you alone. There's a privacy between you two. And then he says take pleasure in the wife of your youth. You have a shared history. It's the one you had, that girl that you had when you were 21 or you were 30 and you were 18, whatever, however old you were, the one that was there your wedding night when you closed that hotel room door and she was there and she walked in and she was beautiful and she trusted you. That woman, however long ago that was, take pleasure in that woman. Live out your passions with that woman. That is the proper place. He's like, between you two, let her breasts always satisfy. So great. I love it. It's hard. It's awkward saying here. I'll be honest. But what he's talking about is an enthusiasm for one another. And he's saying, if you've got a passion for one another, go for it. Do it. Live it out. Take showers together every night. That's what he's saying. So in, the setting, in this setting, he's like, there's a trust there. There's a tenderness there. There's a shared life together. There's a devoted exclusivity there. Gross your kids out with it. So here's the thing. In, a, in its proper context, you, know, you understand what I'm saying. Well, we've already started to teach our kids this. I, at least I do. Darren's a little more reserved than me. But when, when, June, when June's in the room, June, June's five, she's about to be six, I'm already trying to teach her what is love in its proper context look like. And so I'll go to her and I'm like, hey, June, do you know that I love your mama? She's like, yeah. I was like, do you know that I love to kiss your mama? And she just like looks at us. She's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I do. I like give Dara a big kiss. Like, and Dara's just like real sweet right there, you know, the whole time. And like, but I'm like, I want to instill what does it look like to love people in a proper relationship? I want her to see that. I want her to see that. And so here's two things that I want to give you. One is I don't have more time to kind of go into a, a marriage stuff. There's, there's, but there's two things I want to give you. One is a set of prayers to pray for your marriage. And the second thing is this. 
is what do you do if you've already been caught in sin? If you've already experienced adultery, if you've experienced this, the effects of it. And I've got these prayers. I meant to, pr- I printed them out and then I lost the papers between Thursday and now, but I'll print them out for you if you want them. But here's these prayers that I want you to hear that I pray for my marriage and that I want you to pray for your marriage. And I don't pray for them all at the same time. It's just do one a day or one every other day. And here's what they are. God, give us an ever-growing affection for one another. And again, I'll print these out for you if you want them. Just come to me. I meant to have them out there, but I'll print out a whole bunch for you. Give us an ever-growing affection for one another. Grow us deeper and more open in communication with one another. Help us to discuss devotional things of Christ with, to, with each other often. Continually grow us more selfless, encouraging, and supportive towards one another. Forgive one another often and easily. Help me to not be so sensitive. Protection, protection against attacks from Satan. And that we would be filled with love for one another. I have those seven that I'll, I'll rotate through. And again, I'll print those out for you if you want them. But you know what's interesting is I'll pray those prayers. It's one of those things that the Spirit will bring to my mind. So like if I have something I'm dealing with, and, I, and I, like this happened this other week, um, I, I'm praying for, through these things and something comes up to where like I needed to talk to Dara about it, but I didn't really want to. I was like, I don't really know if I should or should not, or is this going to be awkward? And, and all of a sudden the Spirit brought this thing to mind of like, wait, I'm like, I pray for us to grow in deeper and more open in communication. And as I was thinking about that prayer over and over, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to talk to her about it. And it was the most helpful thing in the world that I talked to her about it because it was the Spirit bringing it, this prayer to mind. And so these things are really helpful to pray for within your marriage because the Spirit will prompt you then to do things to make them a reality. So here's the last thing. Is if you're caught in sin, what do you do? What do you do if you've experienced adultery or infidelity in your life, be it you or your spouse? How do you, what do you do if you're the guilty one? Here's a couple things. Here's the process. One, repent. Repent. And what that means is to admit fault and do everything you can to turn away from pursuing any more sexual sin and follow Christ. Number two, accept the forgiveness that you have through Jesus. If you turn to Jesus by faith, He will forgive you of your sins. Number three, seek forgiveness from all of those that you've hurt. Seek forgiveness. And here's the thing. is true forgiveness, true repentance reveals itself by seeking to right all the wrongs that you can. It means going to your spouse and admitting everything and doing what you can to try to make things right. If it's affected your kids, go to your kids, apologize to them, and explain to them that you're going to do things to make things right in age-appropriate ways. But step one on this is come clean to your spouse because that's going to be your first step in true repentance. Think of Zacchaeus. What does Zacchaeus do? 
Jesus came to Zacchaeus. He became a follower of Jesus. And so now what happened? He said, if I've extorted money from anyone, I'm going to give them back four times as much. I'm going to do everything I can to make things right. Think of him. Come clean to your spouse and to begin the process of restoration of trust in your marriage. And here's the last thing is this. Claim your fresh start in Christ because in Christ you are a new creation and then move forward in purity. Move forward in purity as you then pursue Christ as his disciple. And so very likely things will not be the exact same as they were before. That's, that's just wishful thinking. But you, be, you can begin to pick up the pieces and move forward through the help of the Holy Spirit in your heart, leading you to trust and follow Jesus. You can. And so in his goodness, God desires abundant life for his kids. And the blood of Jesus bought us. The Spirit keeps us. And he grants us wisdom so we can live righteous lives for his glory and our good. So let's pray. Father, come before you. We thank you for your word. Could we pray that you would help us to grapple with the the dangers that are at, at work among us in the world, the dangers that are at, at work in our relationships with other people, that we would be um, not just mistrusting of every person, but that we would just be on guard, that we would take initiative to put things in place to ensure that we are disciplined, that we are pursuing righteousness, that we are doing the right thing, that we are growing in openness with our spouse. And so we pray for the help of the Spirit within this because we know at the beginning of this, like what we learned is that we are at war within our hearts, that we are not bent wholeheartedly at following Christ and pursuing righteousness. We need help. We are, we are desperate for Christ to, to, to come and to lead us towards the path of life because we want the way of wisdom. We want the way that is going to develop a beautiful marriage. And so we pray, God, that you would do this in us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you're here this morning and you have never started a relationship with Jesus, you can. He offers forgiveness for any and all sin through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And so if you, if there's something compelling in that to you, you're like, man, I need that. I need his forgiveness. I want to follow him. Here's what you do. You turn to him by faith and you say, Jesus, I've heard you died for me. I heard in you, I have forgiveness. And now I want to claim that for myself. I believe that that is effective in my life. And now I want to follow you with everything in me. And now if that's you, pray that to him. And then get up and tell someone else you did that. So if you want to come and pray with someone about that or about a life situation, I'm going to be in the back corner back there. Come and find me. And so as the band plays, you respond.